Hello. Hello. How are you? Awesome. How are you, Dawn? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, I actually, this morning, it, it, we're like, we're taping now. So this is kind of how it's going to go. Um, this morning and, um, I got up like really, really early and I like got your book on Kindle and I like, and I like, I devoured it because I always want to read, you know, the book beforehand just because it's good to know, you know, some of the background information. And, um, I feel like we are like kindred spirits and like Uh. such weird I swear with like my mom my mom wasn't diagnosed well she all right we didn't talk about it all right Right. let's just leave that but you know and uh but she was definitely you know I'm gonna go with bipolar I know she was she was she had a very odd schedule she was an artist so creatively I mean it was like amazing what she put out there but as far as like her moods and her temperament and the way she treated me and um, the difference between how she treated me and my brothers and like the, the, the divide in our house was like, you yeah. know, palpable. You could, you, you know, you could walk up to the door and you could taste it and it'd be like, yeah, I don't think I really want to go here. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, and no friends. I mean, uh, you know, fringe, fringy friends is what I would call it because it was like, you know, you never got invited to birthday parties cause you didn't have a birthday party. So there was no reciprocation on that. And, you know, I mean, I so get it. I grew up in Connecticut, so it's like that whole East Coast vibe thing is like, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. Wow, that's amazing. And, and my God, thank you for, <sighs> you, excuse me. God bless you. Getting the book. <laughs> thank you. Getting the book and reading it. My goodness, that's so. Yeah, um, well, so I only, I, I always encourage my audience to read the book because you know, my perception of how I read the book and their perception of how they read the book as to who they are and what their experiences are will affect us differently. You know, overall, the same message will come through, you know, 99% of the time. All right. There's always going to be that, you know, that one that's, but you know, because of personal stuff, you're going to, your book is very personal. I mean, it really is. You discuss some stuff that is like some people might, might not be so comfortable talking about you know so uh, I commend you on the honesty on the book oh thank you yeah you know like when I set out to write the book to write the book I really wanted people to get it like and how else is you have to be vulnerable and honest you know well yeah I mean I agree with you on that but a lot of people feel I they have a problem with the direct honesty regarding mental health for some reason and I don't know if all right, this is my experience and I could be like way off. Okay. But my experience is the old, the higher the seasoning goes of the generation that I'm talking about, uh-huh. um, the, the more stigmatizing they still are around the issues of mental health and mental health, um, wellness. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, and, yeah, absolutely. And and, for, and it seems like that's the generation that we should, I mean, and it's hard now with COVID and stuff. I mean, I know that there are like, you know, um, reach out groups and stuff like that, but it's hard to change anything with that age group, you know, because yeah. they're not, they're not really computer savvy. They're not on their smartphones. They're not, yeah. they're not, in, they're not interested in it. You know, it's just, it's something that just doesn't get discussed and, 
you know, if, if, if they're going along okay the way they are now, then why would they ever want to, like, you know, put something else in their life to complicate it? So, yeah, but, um, I get it, you know, and that's sad, though, you know, I know, it's, I know and, because and what, I, it, what does it do? It robs them of joy, right? People are living in, in their lives and they're robbed of a joy because they exactly. won't address anything, you know, like we have to address it if we want to heal, if we want to, you know reclaim our our happiness right i mean just well happiness i mean that's like okay that's a a subjective word i but um i have recent i have recently think i have felt what actual happiness is and it's nothing like what i actually imagined (laughs) it would like you know (laughs) but it was it, it was a solid kind of like a solitary achievement that I followed through with that I feel I did a good job on, you know, I put my best foot forward on it. And when I accomplished it and sent it in for final production and I had like this feeling of like elation and like, and like, and, and, and like flow, I guess is like a good, like I had flow and it was like, wow, you just, you just did that, you know? And I think that was happiness. Cause it was like, I don't ever have to do that again. Like that ever like that again, I could do it you know, next time I could do that way different and better and more effective, but we did it, you know? So in, and, um, you know, and, and happiness is a, is a skill as yeah. you know, a lot of things. So, um, yeah. you know, so, um, I want to go back to the, I have pages of notes here <laughs> I want to try to get it in first some- of all Dawn I have to acknowledge yeah. you because I can't tell you how many interviews I do when people don't even read like the free excerpt on my website or oh my the blurb in yeah. Amazon I feel much more connected to people who have taken the time and, and have read so I'm so grateful for that because I think we're gonna have yeah, a very I'm- different conversation yeah well I watched I watched your TED talk too because well, because I did, you know, and um, because I wanted to, I wanted to see, legitimately, I wanted to see if you had a Jersey accent before I had the conversation, <laughs> conversation with you, because I'm sure to slip into my Connecticut highbrow, you know, Lil at some point in time during the conversation. So, uh, but, uh, and you do, you do have a little of the Jersey still going on. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I love that. Yeah, see, I'm in Arizona now and you went to school in uh, at the University of Phoenix, is yeah. that true? Yeah. Well, I I actually was one of these people that worked a good career and then said, "Shoot, yeah. I, should go, I should go back to school. How can I do this the most convenient way?" And it was University of Phoenix online because it was just I could work full time and do it. Gotcha. Yeah, you had a you had a um, a lucrative career, I guess would just be a nice way to put it. Um, and then, so what? So what happened? Because like I have all this stuff here, so. So you wrote the book two year, three years ago. I wrote the book over a four year period and released it in 2018. Okay, okay. So it was definitely a process of writing the book. Okay, very emotional, cathartic, challenging. Yeah, all of these. I was gonna say, were you like involved in like a DBT therapy or something at the time when you were writing the book to like protect your own mental health? You know, I wasn't, but I had an amazing writing coach and I often refer to her as my second, uh, a writing coach and a therapist because we talked well, about yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's good. Well, because I mean, the book, bring the it, it brings up a lot of stuff and like if, 
if somebody is like reading it and they may have, you know, recessed memories or something, or they, they, they miss, they misremember their youth. Some of the, some of the stuff in the book could be, um, triggering. It could be triggering to somebody who is just starting to open up to their mental health journey and, you know, trying to, um, trying to get well, Mm -hmm. you know, from it. And, and that open, I mean, I did DBT therapy. I was 40 when I tried to commit suicide. So we're, we're talking, wow, 16 years ago now, but still parts of it seemed like it was just yesterday because it's still like so raw. Mm-hmm. But the work that I did in that therapy, uh, I mean, I mean, I, it's, it's so hard to explain unless you've, unless you've done it, but it's like the stuff that you dig into that you don't even, you, you, you just are kind of like, no, we'll just keep it over in the corner. And it's like, it can't stay in the corner because the room has to be cleared out in order for you to move all the new furniture in. That's going to be your new life and your new thought process and your new everything about you. So how did you coming from a bipolar mom, how, how did you like avoid or did you not avoid it? Did you ever have a period of time where like you fell into the demons of what it was like to be like, basically have absolutely no control over your life whatsoever? You know, I, for many years, I felt like I was a victim of the circumstance and I was, therefore I was very angry at my mother and very, and very resentful um, to her for her behavior of me. And I couldn't really have compassion for her. Um, I actually had to go through a lot of self-discovery and therapy in order to reach the point where I could acknowledge that she had a mental illness and it didn't define who she was, although I was so acutely focused on the impact that illness had on me that I was not capable of finding compassion for her. Um, That took many years to finally learn how how to find love and compassion for her for doing the best yes. she could. I mean, it didn't and happen overnight. I was, I was a very bitter and unhappy and resentful woman for a while. Yeah. Power and you were power hungry too. Right. I mean, cause it was like, you could have control over that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what there, there was an actual epiphany moment though, that you had where you learned to separate Yeah. the, what tell the audience what that was because it's like, it, it is a total epiphany moment. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was, I did, um, I did this course called the Landmark Forum and that, that course really did had, have a lasting uh, imprint on me because for the first time I was able to step outside of myself um, and consider what life was like for her. Like, how right. are you trying to raise a child and navigate bipolar disorder and just hold your life right. together? So you know, that's when I was like, oh my God, imagine what life must have been like for a young mother trying to raise a child, having no prior experience doing that, and also trying to figure out what the heck this bipolar disorder was and how right. and how to care for herself. So I think, you know, in that moment, I was able to go, okay, her actions toward me were a reflection of her illness. They, they didn't, it didn't diminish that she loved me. She loved me absolutely hands down, loved me more than anything. But when I could separate her from her illness and still love who she was as a human being, not her illness, 
And when I could appreciate how hard it must have been for her to try to raise a daughter with this illness in a, in a time and period where mental illness really wasn't understood and, and truly treatment was not superb. Um, that's when I had compassion. Yeah. Well, and I'm trying to, I, I, I'm not going to ask you your age, but you left, there were some musical references in the book that I'm still like <laughs> trying to go like, okay, what year was that doing to Google this song? Uh, listen, I was, listen, I'm 49. I'm 49 years old. Okay. <laughs> I have All no right, problem you telling you that. All right. So there you go. So you're, you're almost at, the, you're almost at the best part of your life. It, 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 <laughs> I love it. <laughs> keep going I'm, I'm serious it's like I it, it's just kind of weird it's maybe it's just me but like because my first part of my life I was like sick with bipolar and I was undiagnosed until I was 40 and I was like an alcoholic and I was just screwing up left and right everywhere so I kind of look at that like first 40 years of my life as like okay well that was the whole and combined screw up period of your whole life right there in that package so from now on it's extraordinary or nothing from here on out but I figure I have to live to be like 118 to balance it out. So I'll be around for a minute. All right. So that is your book. And um, that is also the name of your website. Yes. Breaking. Breaking into my life. Breaking life.com breaking into my life.com so Michelle is also busy not only you know the book and all that comes along with that but she also and this I love this because I would love to do something like this out here too but you're involved in the youth and if the youth are anything but our future I don't know what they are so you started a program called called perfect back east perfect just the way you are Mm -hmm. and it's, I couldn't not, I couldn't quite discern if it was like a youth camp during summertime or if it's like a scholarship program that these kids get, um, you know, uh, voted or, you know, uh, elected, elected, nominated yes. to yes. Um, be in it. No, it, it, okay. it started out, it's interesting, it started out as an after school enrichment program that I was able to get the financial support from my company when I was working in the, in the corporate space. And right. it, started, it started as an after-school enrichment program, and it slowly evolved um, to become a one-day wellness fair in a in a grammar school. And the whole idea of the program was to teach children how to nourish their mind, how to nourish their body, and leadership skills. Um, and it was great because we actually we've reached over two thousand kids in New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. Yeah. Which is, which is, you know, I think those are the skills, especially now, like mental health and well-being and kids just being aware of how they're doing is so important. Right. Like we yeah. have a crisis. We have a suicide crisis with teens. Yeah. We, we had that crisis yep. before the pandemic. It's only going to get worse. So we really do need to be, you know, tuning into the kids and to their mental well-being and connecting with them in a time that's like incredibly challenging. So... We, we are in the process of converting that into an online course, of course, because, uh, because you know, everything is virtual, not- but, you, you know, um, there's nothing like the, the hands-on experience, though, you know, and maybe we'll get back to that, right. you know, hopefully in, in the future. Well, I mean, the, the vaccine is rolling out, so, yeah. you know, but I don't, I don't even, like, the thing is, like, with, well, I don't want to get into COVID. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we we could talk about COVID in a general terms, but we're not going to get into like COVID right now. But um, so, um, so 
yeah, as an online forum, I mean, I could just see like, because then you could do that on like something like Eventbrite or I don't know, something like that. And you could, yeah, you could you know, have like different um, corporate, well, not corporations, like institutions or whatever, look at it and they could do it like as a, a Zoom, like a Zoom meeting call for groups. Could, wow, you could touch a lot of people that way. That's a good idea. I, I know. It's, ex- a really it's exciting idea. to think about it. It really, really is. And And the way that we had landed with the program was we were training kids to deliver the content to kids and there's something really powerful yeah. about a peer talking to a peer about a concept yep. so yep. that is truly um the way to go if you're trying to reach kids you got to reach them where they are with 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 right. who so yeah. you're you're basically building like youth leaders at this time yes. like face-to-face youth leaders and like mentor mentorship yep. type thing yeah mentors are mentors are key people always tend to forget about or they don't even know what a mentor is anymore because of whatever yep. but like to have a, men- a mentor an accountability partner just somebody that you can trust enough to run anything by them and you know that even though they may not approve of it they're going to give you their their call and they're still going to like you at the end either way whatever you do so right. you know and I, kids kids need that I mean I see I live in a trailer park in Arizona and you know, it is what it is, but these kids, and especially with like the lack of school and they're getting like truancies for not going to school because the internet service out here is so bad that they can't get to school, but then they're taking their parents to court on truancy charges, you know, and it's just like, wow, can we like not just get this together? Like, can we have like a a teacher come and have like five kids at a time at a picnic table, teaching them face-to-face every other day and rotate the kids and teach them this way. And like, because these kids are, I'm, I'm nervous for this, this group of this COVID generation of kids that we have right now. Because yeah, I agree. They, they've lost, they've lost. I mean, it may not seem like a great period of time, but for some of these kids, this was like their main prime period of like learning communication skills and learning inner, you know, interpersonal skills and, it's gone, you know? Yeah. I think we need to remember how hard this is on our kids and make sure that we're checking on them and make sure that they're getting what they need. You know, we're human beings, we're wired for connection. So to take that away from any one of us, including our kids is just, it's, it's just so hard. It deprives us of, of a basic need that we all have. Yeah. And, you know, I was in grief, I was in grief group yesterday and it was, we had a handout. I don't remember exactly what it was, but on one of the selections, I X'd it out and put COVID. Oh, it's about hugs. Are you, are you receptive to giving or receiving hugs? And I was like, COVID. And like instructor looks over and he goes, COVID. He's like, I never even thought about how much that has affected our whole humanity. And I'm like, it, everything dude it's like you just can't walk up and hug anybody anymore people you you got a mask on you can't read body language anymore and i said it's just it's kind of dehumanized the whole interpersonal aspect of you know people people communicating with each other you know and 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 he was like taken aback and he was like in i was kind of surprised i'm like wow dude you're my therapist you know but I, because he just, you know, I guess in a way, in his job, he's just so focused on what his daily grind is in in a behavioral health institute. You know, it's a daily grind. It's 
you know what I mean? I don't think, I don't think there's any kind of like pure enjoyment at the end of the day in that job. But um, he's like not looking outside of the bigger picture, you know, because he's very isolated, I guess is what the word I'm trying to say, insulated. Right, right. So, but, you know, but I'm learning a lot in that. So um, I do encourage anybody, if you've lost anything you've loved, an animal, a person, or a lifestyle, grief group is a way to go to get a handle on it. All right. So we now have you, I want to know what your definition of compassion is because First, I want to know what your definition is, and then I'll, I'll further on the question. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, when I worked in the in the um, corporate space in the Fortune 50 company that I was in, I was leading a employee resource group for mental health. And one of the things that that we were all about was elevating compassion in the workplace. We're, we have moved away and and moved away from compassion and empathy in leadership in general in the corporate space. And it's been replaced by performance and deliverables. Um, right. And I believe that they can exist together. I think we need to bring our yeah. humanness to the workplace. And there needs to be a human interaction and, and a compassion and empathy. So, you know, what is compassion? I think compassion is just fundamentally being a human being and connecting with one another and having another person feel understood and gotten for what they're dealing with. that's good so to me when i when i flip this paper over and still can't find it again um compassion in the workplace right is that what it is um culture of compassion in the workplace i kind of i'm gonna i kind of roll my eyes because well first of all i've been on disability for a long time so i haven't been in the workplace for a minute but i have so many people coming to me and just complaining to me and just begging for a way to change their workplace be it uh they're working at the local grocery store or they're working you know a higher up in an administration in a medical facility mm-hmm. and there it, it, it just seems to be like a lack of and um you know I don't really I, I'm always like I'm always like the be honest girl you know like mm-hmm. it, but I haven't workplace so I don't know like the workplace politics and stuff like that sometimes can get in the way mm-hmm. with honest stuff but I mean I, I'm always like if you feel like you deserve something and you feel like you have earned it you're these other people might be aware of what you're doing because they're so hyper focused on this over there that this over here because it's being covered it's not the priority so it's like you have to bring it up yourself and advocate for yourself and yeah let you know, and not be cocky about it because then you can, that can go a totally different way. Right. But, you know, but like to, the empathy thing, cause I don't even, I just think everyday people don't even show much empathy anymore. Everything is like memes and gifts and, and nobody's like really genuine or, you know, like full authentic anymore because you can't, it, you can't be cause you don't know who you're going to offend. And you know what I, you know, I mean, I, yeah it just seems like where I'm trying to I like censorship so I guess I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to say a lot of people I guess would feel censored if 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 you tried to bring in this culture of compassion into certain workplaces or that the group that you are um the group that you you know it is is going to be bullied or further like intimidated once they're um once they're in a ERG you know you have to actually 
look at it more holistically. You have to look at what is your environment? What are the things the company is already doing around mental health and creating uh, safe psychological safety in the workplace, right? You have to really look at it from that lens. Um, and then you have to see, is, is the environment one where there's trust between employee and and people leader, right? right? Is, is there trust? Is that is that an important value for the organization right. that trust be be instilled and that you know everyone be treated regardless of their invisible or visible disabilities fairly? Um, I think that's the first step. And then there are things that you can do over a period of time to slowly improve the culture. If if there if there isn't that, right? You you can't turn you can't create a compassionate culture overnight. It takes a lot of little steps along the way um, for people to start to feel psychologically safe in that environment and willing to talk and willing to to share and to be honest with what they're dealing with. So it's a progression and it doesn't happen overnight, but organizations that I get to work with are the ones that really are seeing that, you know what, now is the time. Now is the time. People, one in three are dealing with depression or anxiety because of this pandemic. So it's their opportunity to really show up and support their people with what they're dealing with. And in the end, it's going to be better for just flat out better for business and better for your bottom line. Right, because it would be what less absenteeism and like turnover and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean engagement and engagement disability costs. I mean, you know, people hit crisis and they're out of work. Like, why not do more for them proactively, reminding them of resources that are available, cultivating a culture of trust, so they can just be honest and say, "I'm just having a bad friggin' day." Right. You know, I'm trying to be super mom over here, super teacher the number one employee, the perfect partner, and I'm imploding. So I think I need a mental health day and just be okay with that. Right. right? Like imagine. Right. Right. Hello. No, I mean, I totally get that because like back a hundred years ago now, I actually did work a corporate career for about, oh, I don't know. I think I managed it for about four and a half years before I just, I, I like, I imploded on it. But, um, Gosh, I don't even know if I could do that now. I'm like thinking about that. And I just felt like every day I was like putting on this fake mask and just like bullying myself up before I walked in that door just so that nobody knew how like broken I really was just trying to hold it together. And in that environment that I worked in, in that place, I do not feel as if they would have given me any support whatsoever if I would have gone to them and been like, um, I suspect I have major depression. Um you know, can, can we cut, can the, cause the insurance wouldn't cover, and you know what I mean? It's like all this stuff, like, can we make this easier yeah. for me to stay right. working in right now is actually thicker and causing me to like, yes, you know, it's like, I can't do this job, you know? And, um, yep. and this was, this was a while ago, but do, has it changed that much in say 30, 30 ish years? Has it started to become so, yeah, I mean, you have to look at the generations, the Gen Zers, the um, millennials. These are these are generations that are actually causing a shift for employers to be retaining top talent from those two generations. Mm -hmm. They have to step up their game because because th these are populations who who are quite comfortable talking about their well-being. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, they're demanding better support right from their employer. So if you want to differentiate yourself and be 
you know, have the competitive edge to get the best talent within your organization, you got to step up. So I think generations are causing there to be more change and more support in the workplace. And, you know, those are the ones, those are the organizations that are going to get the best talent. So you better step your game up and provide what employees are demanding. Um, And honestly, you need to have a healthy workforce. A healthier workforce is a more sustainable, um, productive, you know, and, you know, achieving your goals kind of organization. Right. Because people are engaged and they're working and they're not constantly going out because they're ill, mentally, physically, whatever. Like you need to have an environment that fosters mental and and physical well-being. Right. No, I totally agree with that. Like, you know, they have like, you know, a lot of places have gyms now or like, you know, a gym membership that will come with your employment. And I was always like, why doesn't that include like a Reiki or I don't know, a Tai Chi class or, you know, even like a free meditate, you know, something like that, that so you got your body covered and let's cover the mind too, you know? And I mean, I'm, I'm not going to suggest therapy because then that's going to get all weird with like insurance and all that stuff, but, yeah, but you know, other minds, there's no health. Like there's, there's no physical health done without mental health. Right. I th- like you could be, you could be muscular, you could be in the best physical shape, but if your mind is not well, you cannot be healthy. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're, po- if your mind is filled with poison, your outside might look good, but your poison's still inside. So it's just, it's, yeah, it's all about it. And, um, so I had a question about stigma and I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I just, um, I just spoke at PodFest Global Summit and I just did my four, how long was it? Four minutes and 44 seconds of <laughs> um it was called retire mm-hmm. retire the stigma and um it's basically about retiring the stigma of what it means to have a mental health diagnosis in five minutes and under and it's <laughs> like so <laughs> <laughs> so when I was like I was reading something that you had written about stigma or I of the separating the illness from the person or see the person not the illness and I like put big arrows and then I wrote stigma breaking um Did you feel more stigma? Because you also you also had um, a period of depression. So did you feel more stigma being the child of somebody with bipolar disorder, having suffered from depression yourself? Which one? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I think it was different for both scenarios. Like, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. So like mental illness was was so stigmatized. So I was like embarrassed. I kept it a secret. I didn't want anyone to know what my mom was dealing with. I, I rarely wanted to bring people over to my house and fear that my mother would act out. So, I mean, the stigma was very real in that regard. But then when I was diagnosed with depression, um, you know, I had always, I guess because I had written the book and was outspoken about it, I didn't feel Um, I didn't feel in general that I was being stigmatized until, until I told my boss, this is really important. I told my boss that I was diagnosed with depression and I was, I was struggling and I was doing the best I could because I thought if I'm a leader of this ERG with it, with a group of people causing change, I need to go first, right? right? I need to lead by example. So I tell her this six months later, Dawn, in my performance review, she says, Michelle, you didn't meet expectations. These are the things you didn't do. 
And you know what? You just didn't bring your bubbly, upbeat self to work every day. Oh, my God. Wow. And that was when, but, but that was when it hit me. How many other leaders are just that insensitive? Yeah, you know, a lot, actually. Um, I think a lot in my experience. So, you know, they, they just get to that point of, like, it's, oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. So I'm just going to, yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. It, it, it's unfortunate. And honestly, the woman that said that to me, I question her own relationship to mental health. Right, exactly. You know, exactly. like what, what, yeah, like why is that barrier there? And why is she a person in authority leading a team of people if that's how she's leading? Exactly. Like that's where I saw the greatest opportunity. And I was like, that's it. I have to go out in the world and be the change. I have to help organizations and people leaders just understand so that they can lead with compassion, lead with understanding um, and get the best out of their people. You know, yeah, I do. I do know. I I've worked. I've worked in both. I worked in. Well, first I was in the military too, so I also have that as a background, which is not nurturing mm. or um, at the time very no. very much supportive of mental health at all. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, but I wasn't diagnosed with anything at that time, so I I was just kind of like I was just kind of like, wow, there's something wrong in my brain. I don't know what's happening, but it is not good and. I self-medicated like crazy to try to normalize myself and it, it was effective for a really, really long time. And then it wasn't anymore. So, um, so is, mm. is what you do is I'm, I'm, conf- I'm, I'm a little confused. So do you go into companies and you teach them how to set up employee resource groups or do you like, well now run an online course for companies facilitators? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's a great question. And allow me to explain. So when I created my company, it was right before the pandemic. And my vision was I wanted to work with HR leaders to really look at their cultures and say, what is it that they're doing that we can, that we can um, just tune up a little bit that we can add to because a lot of companies are doing good. A lot of companies have an employee assistance program, they have good benefits, but what else could they do? So the whole idea was I wanted to sit down with them and build a strategy. I consider myself a knowledge broker with a lot of great connections in the mental health space for solutions from anything from tech to um, training courses, et cetera. And so that was the vision. But you know what? The pandemic came along and they needed something else. They needed resilience for their people. They were all working remotely, Mm -hmm. trying to navigate this new world of being quarantined. Mm -hmm. And these companies were very concerned about the balance, the well-being, and proactively protecting their people. So they asked for my resilience course. And honestly, that has been the greatest success because I've been able to deliver that to, I don't know, over 2,000 employees over the course of this pandemic so far um, to just help them remember the things they can do daily to feel better and to keep balance in their life and also honestly shift the relationship to brain health so god forbid them or the loved one needs support we remove fear we remove shame and we get them connected to resources that they can tap into so it's really about an education around mm-hmm. mental health but it's also what can they do to feel better daily um and that's really what i've been doing um over the course of the pandemic well you know it's kind of interesting because this generation coming up and it's like it, and they were kind of like the the generation that like everybody got a trophy. They were, you know, everybody got a trophy. The whole 
helicopter parent thing, whatever that's all about, the gorilla mom or yeah. whatever. I, I don't, you know, whatever the, all the stuff is, but um, they, they don't really know what it is to be resilient because they've never had to bounce, you know? Yeah. I mean, not in a big way. No, I'm not going to say individually, there's not kids that grew up like how we grew up with like oh, crap. What is it going to be today? Can, can yeah. you know, can I do anything? Where can I go? You, you know, all the options that you run through and then it's like, fudge here we go and then you just you hold your breath and you hold your breath you hope for the best and you know if I was lucky I could make it up to my room get my door locked and just get into a book and be like gone you know like I'm not here Mm -hmm. I'm in a book I'm good so that's how I dealt with Mm -hmm. it so Mm -hmm. but um yeah yeah so um I just told you but the challenge the challenge for so many though Dawn is that people have abandoned their routines people don't have the bookends of the day. You know, most people who had, you know, structure in their morning, structure in their evening, where they were driving to a location and then coming home. A lot of people are blending work and life together. They're not taking the breaks. They're not taking the vacations. They're not decompressing. It's just all a blur and it's depleting. It's depleting people. Um, And so that's, you know, that's why I want to do this work is because I want people to be more empowered and, and realize truly all that they do have right. control over. Right. Yeah. That was another one of the grief exercises that we, yeah, in the very beginning that we did is what, what we can and what we cannot control and all the things that we can control yeah. started with mine, <laughs> mine or I, and it was like, yeah. oh, you know, so, I mean, we actually, we, it, it may they may be very minor things, but we actually do have a lot of stuff during the course of a day that we do have legit control over our choice of. So it's not all lost. We yeah, we do. Yeah, it's so true. We do. But you know what? If you listen to the news and you overconsume social media, you very quickly forget. Yeah. That well, you can. Right? And yeah. So I tell people. I tell people all. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people all the time, listen, my, my resilience course isn't rocket science. It's probably all the things that your mother told you to do that you just didn't do, <laughs> you know, all together in one program. And you pick from the menu of things that you're going to tap into so, so you can start feeling better because you wow. have more. Control. So you don't have to take, you don't, you can just pick out lessons out of the course that you want to like learn at, like at that moment and just like pick and choose like a buffet. You know what I, Yeah. The way I typically work is I will do a burnout assessment with my client, mm-hmm. uh, with their people. We'll get, we'll, we'll do a quick burnout assessment. We'll understand mm-hmm. what the pain points are. I'll present the entire resilience program. There's probably like 10 tips in there, 10 tips and strategies that they can apply and whatever the assessment tells us right. they need support in, we will um, focus on. And you do that within a company? Yeah. Yeah. I do it within um, departments, within the company. I do it, you know, different time zones. I've worked with a Japanese wow. pharmaceutical company. I'm working with a another pharma that I just um, secured like an eight month agreement with that I can actually come back and refresh the employees oh, every month because, you know, repetition yep. is everything. I can do a one and done and then, you know, people forget. Yep. It's like a course. You take a course, you put the syllabus on the shelf and you forget about it. I'm like, no, let me come back. Let's just, let's remind them of all the things they can do. Let's, let's talk about what's working. Let's talk about what's not working and let's just, you know, support them. And I'm so, 
I love organizations that get it and want to really support their people. It's just so inspiring. And I want other companies to really be doing but what that do you too. think the difference? Do you think the difference is like maybe somebody in the way high up management has a mental illness of their own or somebody they love or knew or respected had a mental illness of their own and they're you think yeah i i think you might be yeah i think you might be right because until you're affected by something that has to do with mental illness whether it's yourself or your loved one it's hard to understand the impact so yeah it could be that or it could be just the data the data is screaming that people are are going are yep. headed for ptsd coming out of this um Burnout is prevalent. People don't associate burnout with working it's from home, work. but people yeah. are burning out oh, working from home. It's worth trying to <laughs> so, work from home, like if, especially if you got kids. I mean, it's just hell on wheels. I, I I'm single and I don't have any of that stuff. And like even just trying to put a podcast schedule together sometimes is like I can't do it. You know, and it's like I, yeah, I, the added the added stuff. I. I just don't people are more resilient than they realize and once we get through this and onto the other side of it it's going to be amazing what people realize they can actually do and maybe we're going to pull our stuff together as you know as communities first you know and like patchwork quill our country back together again so we're like you know connected yeah, I hope so. I think you're right God, I hope I so because right. I'm I'm so tired of the division <laughs> and you know my main my main thing about my talk on the stigma was um, there was four points and let's see if I can remember two of them. The first point was uh, to question your belief system, what it's based on, because in my argument, people mm. people's belief systems on mental health are based on like horror movies. So they all think that we're Jason or that, you know, we're like Halloween or, or we're the shining. And it's like, um, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Right. not what we right. are you know and then it's like question right. question that belief and then educate yourself and then pass on the pass on your knowledge and like just get everybody on the same on the same foot but I'm down with the whole honesty thing like if we're not honest now this is coming from somebody with bipolar if we're not honest about mm -hmm. our our diagnosis and about our symptoms and about what we really are and what authentically we can and cannot do don't we're not helping the mental health community in any way, shape or form. We're just actually building the stigma further of, of what it is to have a mental health. So we have, we, you know, we have to be blatantly honest about everything with our doctors, with our community, within our own networking, you know, and if we see somebody like pulling the victim card and like, and like kind of, you know, being a baby about it. And that sounds mean, but my, my audience knows me. So they know that's not, that's not mean. But, you know, like, if, but if you're going to play that victim card, then you better bleed now because otherwise I'm not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way with me. You know, you have, you can do it. Mm -hmm. We all, we all have it in us to right. turn it around and do it. Whatever our, um, you know, what is it? Our Greek flaws, whatever that is, we all got one. So, we can all, you know, we all overcome yeah. it. So true. So true. Very well said. And I say that too, in, in many regards, like it takes something to go first and to, and to speak up and 
and it paves the road for someone coming up behind you and for someone else and creates a safe space of relatedness for someone who's who's maybe muted you know there's so much good that comes from courageously going right first. and like you don't even realize well I didn't I didn't feel like I was any kind of a trailblazer at all because before I decided to do my podcast I actually looked it up and there were quite a few bipolar podcasts and I was like I don't have to do one there's plenty of them you know and then and, and then I just I I just kind of lost my mind one day and like hit record and it was like history was made in that three minutes and fifty two seconds of my first. But you know what? But but you know what, Don? Like nobody, nobody can do a podcast. True. Like, <laughs> like you know, like we we so quickly discount our ability to be a contribution in the world because we look around and we right. see other people doing it. Well, those other people have their own individual fingerprint. Your fingerprint is uniquely you and you will talk to who exactly. you are supposed to talk exactly. to. Exactly. And we yeah. got to remember that in a world of comparison and social media, we must remember there is nobody who can do you better That's than you. That's damn straight. That should, you got that on a t-shirt? Like we can get that at the end of your course. I can, you know, the limited edition tie-dye camo. Ooh. Ooh. Think about it. And then it's your full camp on the bottom of it. I like it. See? I like t-shirts. I want to get a t-shirt because the first time that I was ever number one was in Mongolia and it was like, so I have like this love for Mongolia, but I want to get a t-shirt with my logo on it that has number one in Mongolia written across the back of it with like team, team dancing with bipolar on it, like as a hockey jersey type thing. It's like, <laughs> but I, I have like this certain, every time I see Mongolia come up on my charts and I'm like, I love you guys because they were, they were my first number one. And I beat out two really high ranking shows in mental health. And I was like, wow. And yeah, so. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. See, I still, I yeah. still am like humbled and surprised, and I want to stay that way because I don't ever want any of the good stuff coming up to be like, eh, already did whatever. You know, I don't, I don't ever want it to be like that. I always want it to be like, oh my god, I'm so excited. This is, you know, like with my five minutes, and I'm like, I have five minutes to change the world, and other people are all writing into the forum like, can I please get an extra this many minutes for my, my slides or my whatever? And I'm just thinking dude, I got five minutes to change the world. And, you know, and it was just like that whole like mind shift, the perception of like, I have this many minutes. The Gettysburg address was only two minutes and like 45 seconds. And I got five minutes, like, you know, <laughs> and, and I don't know that mm -hmm. I changed the world. Not yet anyway, but I mean, my ripple is out there. So it's like, you know, and yours, you know, yeah. and yours oh is too. Hell and as yeah. a community of mental health people, leaders, you know, we can, we're definitely, you know, if you're seeing it in the youth, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it that we're doing something right. You know, something, you know, something's going on. Something is happening. Okay, Michelle. So what do you want to promote? Do you have any webinars coming up or any, um, any stuff coming up that you want the audience to know about? Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing for people to do. So I have a, I have a mental health series as well. It's called Michelle's Conversations That Matter. It's on over on YouTube. But the way to access me is really through my website, which is michelledickinson.com. Um, there you can find out about my resilience program. Um, I'm always willing to bring it to whoever's interested. Um, I don't do these sort of standalone because I do them mostly right. for clients. Although I'm doing a free one. 
ironically tomorrow night if people are interested they can just hit me up but, um, <laughs> but so that and then you know just reach out to me if you want to connect I mean my book is available on Amazon I'm not really here to promote my book I'm really here to promote mental health I know. and well-being and help people with resilience so like and I love hearing from people so if you know an organization or if you know a community that wants to give their people resilience uh, tips and resources and tools I'm the person that you should call. There you go. Or text her. No, can't text her because I, I don't even have her phone number. <laughs> so I can't even text the lady. <laughs> but hit, her, hit her up. Um, she's definitely out there. If you just like Michelle E. Dickinson, her her website will come up. And um, then there's like links on that that you can, you know, bounce around and see all the stuff that she's up to. Because I don't know when the woman sleeps, but whatever, you know. So. <laughs> thank you all right so everybody check out check out her uh, podcast on youtube and if you need resiliency in the workplace hit her up she's your girl and um this is awesome and i do encourage everybody to read the book okay so that's coming from me not from the author so i encourage you to read the book you will um there is a a certain sense of humanity and familiarness in that book to me that is like oh boy so at least someone else gets it, you know, at least someone else has been there, done that and gotten through it and um, forgave, <laughs> forgave, you know, and that's huge. Yeah. Maybe next time you're on, we'll talk about forgiveness and empathy and then compassion and how that all ties into um, our mental health. Yeah, you got to do the work. If I could leave you with anything around that, you got to do yep. the work. You got to look within. We cannot have compassion or empathy for others if we can't have it for ourselves. See, that is so true. Another T-shirt moment. Okay, so I'll be, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> on T Public um, before I put this up. And I uh, know. <laughs> All right, Michelle, you are awesome. I really, really enjoyed this. Um, anything you want to hit me up with in the future? You know how to get a hold of me if you want me to promote something for you or um, you know, put something. Oh, you, uh, you got it, man. This was a great interview, and um, go enjoy your day. You too. Thank You're you welcome. so much. Hi, this is Dawn Shireen of Dancing with Bipolar. As we all know, COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. There are a few ways to help lower the spread of this respiratory disease, however. Wash your hands, avoid touching your face, including your mouth, nose, and eyes. Cover your coughs and sneezes. Monitor your symptoms and consult with your doctor. Stay home and away from other sick people, except for medical care. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. That's cdc.gov slash COVID-19. Thank you.